Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would join me there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I also want you to open up your Bible at the same time, put a finger in Philippians chapter 3. So First uh, Corinthians 15 and Philippians chapter 3. If you are using an electronic Bible, you will not be able to do that. However, if you have a paper Bible, you've got an advantage tonight. You can follow along in two places at the same time. Can you believe the technology we have? Hallelujah. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I was pondering this uh, afternoon as I was putting this message together and thinking about the message that the Apostle Paul brings to us in these first few verses of 1 Corinthians 15. And I was thinking about good news and bad news. You see, as believers, we, are, we, we ought to be oriented around the idea of good news. Just yesterday as we were there on outreach, uh, I was knocking on some doors, and uh, this one door I knocked on just right here behind the church, uh, and a, a young girl answered the door. She probably was 16 or 17 years old, and, uh, and I, I told her, my name's Adam. I'm from the Potter's House Church right around the corner here, and I have come to give you some good news, and you know, sometimes you just have a connection with people. I've been on outreach, uh, you know, uh, before and, you know, had, had no connection, no doors open, and that can be a frustrating experience. But, you know, you kind of pray, God, give me somebody to witness to, right? And I hope you pray that. I hope somebody here prays for that. Uh, but that's what I pray for. God, would you please give me someone that I can deliver the message to? And I, I really believe that this girl was the answer to that prayer yesterday. And I told her, I've got some good news for you. And it kind of, I could see it captured her attention. I said, has anyone ever told you about the gospel message before? And she said, no. And, and really, that's kind of a rare thing anymore that, that people would, would, uh, would uh, show that, that openness. And so, well, if you've got two minutes, I'll give you the short version. And I began to explain to her. And I said, see, the problem is I can't really tell you the good news until you know about the bad news. And so I began to tell her the bad news, which hopefully you all know what the bad news is, right? The bad news is you're a sinner, and if you don't change that, you're going to go to hell. Well, I gave her the nicer version of that, but uh, with a little more explanation. But, you know, it took me a, a minute or two to explain, you know, God has his laws and commandments, and he's a holy and a righteous God. And if we die in our sins, uh, because he is holy, he has to deliver. He has to uphold his law and he has to deal with lawbreakers. Maybe somebody needed to hear that tonight. The spirit of rebellion 
will not be allowed in eternity. How many know that? Every idolater, every lustful spirit, every liar, every thief will have his part in the lake of fire. I don't know why the Holy Spirit told me to say that, but you know what? I'll just go with it. And that's the bad news tonight. The bad news is, and so I was explaining to this girl, and she, as I was saying these things, I could just tell that she had never really heard that before. I could tell because she was captured in her attention. And I was, I, I just got finished, and, and, and I, I usually what I do is I, I help people understand by asking questions, and I say, so what do you think God would do with someone who has broken his laws? Just like a good judge, if he's had somebody arrive in his courtroom having broken all these laws, would a good judge just let that person go? No. A good judge has to, has to make a judgment, has to punish crime. And I asked her, what do you think God does with guilty sinners like us? And she got a, a realization on her face, and she started pointing at the ground. And I made a face like this. And said, so now I can tell you about the good news. Now I can, you can appreciate why this news is good. And I began to tell her that Jesus Christ, the one that we celebrate on Christmas, his arrival to the world. And just as I got started telling her the good news, here comes dad marching from the back of the house. He was this big dude. I knew I was in trouble. And as soon as he saw me, he knew what was happening. He says, we're Catholic. We're not interested. Slam the door. Mm. And you know, part of me began to wonder if God will play back those scenes in eternity when he begins to judge and make judgments. I pray that that girl would seek out the good news. I, I did what I was supposed to do. I, did, uh, I have no guilt in that situation. But I pray that that father would have a change of heart and that that daughter would seek out the good news because that has the power to change life. I, I tell you that story tonight because we as believers, we ought to be orient, orientating, as Pastor Campbell says, orientating our lives around good news and bad news. Isn't it true tonight that when you hear bad news, that you hope it's not true? Isn't that true? You, you get a piece of bad news and, you, and you're just like, oh, no, please don't let it be true. Amazon Prime just went up by a 50%, you know. No, please don't let that happen. I have to go check. Please don't let it be true. That's what we do when we hear bad news. And the opposite is also true. When you hear truly good news, what do you do? Oh, please let that be true. There's a part of you that is hoping that that is, uh, that that is not a lie. If I told you tonight that the, the scientists had unlocked the key to perfect living and that that key is chocolate ice cream, you know, you would say, oh, please, Pastor, please let that be true. And I could only eat chocolate ice cream for the rest of my life, and I could live to 120 years old, you know. See, when you hear good news, there's a part of you that just yearns to want to know that that is true. Let me read you a, a scripture tonight that I hope will spark your brain. 
The word gospel, it literally means good news. But people are not excited about that like they are about chocolate ice cream. Listen to Luke chapter 2, verse 10. The angels said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Good tidings of great joy to who? Anybody know? To all people. The angels' message to the shepherds that day are saying that this news, the arrival of this baby, ought to be the kind of news that would excite anybody. And to the early church, to those early believers, that they discovered that this was true. That no matter who they delivered this message to, whether it was Jew or Greek, a Samaritan, whether it was an Ethiopian, any person of any skin color, any background, that this message, when people heard it, they said, this is incredible. This is glad tidings, good news unto all people. Now, let me ask you tonight, is the gospel still an exciting message that you hope and pray and desire that you are captivated by that you hope that it is true because that's what it should be producing when you hear good news you should want it to be true now if tonight if this message of the gospel makes you yawn you say pastor i've heard too many messages about the gospel already don't you have something else to preach on well my mission as a preacher is to Shout where the Bible shouts and whisper where the Bible whispers. This is a message that the New Testament is shouting on. Again and again, the good news of the gospel. And so tonight, if this message of Jesus, if this message of him arriving to the world, dying on the cross, raising from the dead and giving you the possibility of eternal life, if that just makes you go, if you're more interested in football or Facebook, then it tells me you have one of two problems. Either you have not heard the gospel, or you haven't heard the true gospel. You've heard an incorrect version that's different from the original. Because this original version that the angels told on that night, this original version was good tidings of great joy to all people. That includes you tonight. And this should be something that still gets you excited. Here's the Apostle Paul in our scripture, 1 Corinthians 15. And he is going to give us a defense of the gospel. He is going to give us a Uh, a meat and potatoes explanation of what the gospel is and why it is worthy for our faith. Why not only that, but why we should be excited about it. And tonight I pray that before you leave this place, you'll have more than a yawn when it comes to the word gospel. So this is a message I've titled, Why the Gospel is Still Good News. 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you 
the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you are also saved. Did you catch that? He says, I preached it to you that you received it, you stand in it, and by which you are also saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, for I delivered to you first of all that, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by the, all, all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. Let's pray for just a moment. Lord, we come by the blood of Jesus once again. I thank you for this audience tonight. I thank you for every person that this message will be heard by God, that once again the gospel would be good news to us, not just in theory, but in practice. God, that the good news would still excite us, the good news that saved us as brand new converts would still be the good news that is transforming us day by day into your likeness and image. I'm praying tonight that this gospel would still be good news that we can not only receive, but that we can give unto others tonight. We thank you for all you're going to do in Jesus' name. God's people would say, amen. This scripture begins with a great word. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Look at it again. In the translation that I'm using, it is the word moreover. Everybody say moreover. Okay, now this is sermon number 22 that has come out of 1 Corinthians, uh, the, the epistle to the Corinthians here. And so we have, up until this point, we have 14 chapters of incredible teaching by the Apostle Paul, right? And we have heard some amazing things. I have, uh, I have been trying as best I can to abbreviate this sermon series, but it is impossible when you're dealing with the Apostle Paul because nearly every scripture is a whole sermon by itself. Think of what has been covered in this book so far. Think of all the things that he has taught and preached and corrected. Think of how many rebukes and corrections and instructions that he has given in this letter so far. We've spent the last few months going through. How many times he's spoken about marriage He has spoken about the single life. He has spoken about leadership. He has given us instruction in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He has written perhaps the greatest chapter on agape, sacrificial love that has ever been written. He has, uh, in the the last chapter, chapter 14, he gave us the, uh, the, the, the defined role of how prophecy works in the church, how to have order in church meetings, many, many Many things that the Apostle Paul has helped us with, right? And then, here we are, chapter 15, and he uses the word, moreover. Now, let me give you a definition of the word moreover. The word means also and more importantly. (laughs) Also 
And more importantly, Paul is giving us the how we should see the next thing he's about to say. He's saying, yes, all of that stuff that I told you so far, that's good stuff. But what I'm about to tell you is even more important. He says, I've said all of that to say this. Aren't you glad when preachers say that? He says, I've, I've, I've said all of that stuff to bring you to this point right here. And you hear preachers say it like this. They say, if you don't hear anything else I said, listen to this. And then our ears perk up, hopefully. Okay, I just got to remember one thing. Here it is. And he begins to tell us about the gospel. What does it tell you about the importance to the Apostle Paul of this gospel message? Everything I've taught so far compared to this is less important. Moreover, brethren, this is Paul arriving at the climax of his letter to tell them what he really wants to say. I've said all of that so that I can say this to you. I declare to you the gospel. The same gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, and in which you stand. In other words, the Apostle Paul says the one thing that matters here, if you have missed everything I've said so far, don't miss this. It's about the gospel. He is bringing the message of heaven near to their ears. He is now coming face to face with the verdict, with the meaning of it all. And now he begins with clarity and with simplicity to explain to us the gospel message. And I pray, I hope it's, I hope it's something tonight, because what would, what would you say to me tonight if I came up to you and I said, what is the gospel? What is the good news? And there's 20 people here, 30 people here. There's probably another 10 or 15 watching online. So if we got, you know, if we got 45 people here tonight, I would probably get 45 different answers. What is the good news? And why is it good news? I believe we as Christians, we have to have this absolutely crystal clear. We also ought to be able to say, moreover, I declare to you the gospel. What is it that you speak to people on outreach? You know, too often, I saw you had a flyer over here, Mr. Stephen. Can I borrow that for a second? For, for, for too many people, do you know what the gospel is? Please come to my church. Is that the gospel? Let's try that again. For too many people, the gospel is, we have a really cool event and there's going to be hot dogs. Now, that might be good news to somebody. <laughs> but that's not the gospel. For too many people, the gospel is, you know, there's an empty chair next to me in church, and you would really look good sitting in it. <laughs> is that the gospel? No, it's not. What is the gospel? Let's jump in and dive into the Apostle Paul's definition of not only a, uh, not only a, uh, uh, how to say, it's, it's not just a, a formula of one step after another that should be interesting. No, it's more than that. It is a way of seeing life. Look at verse 3. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This, beloved, this is the essence of the gospel. Now, this can be communicated in many ways. This can be, you can personalize this so that you understand it. But if you're going to communicate the gospel, if you're going to receive the gospel, if you're going to live the gospel, you have to get these things. This is the story about a man from Galilee 2,000 years ago who was crucified outside of Jerusalem. He was buried. You know why that's important? Because he didn't just disappear. They know where his tomb is. He was buried. The tomb was secure. And on the third day, he rose again. See, we are wired for stories, aren't we? We loved a good story. Do you know where the word gospel comes from? In the Old English, it was the words God's spell. And spell, S-P-E-L-L, that was an old way of saying story. In other words, the gospel is simply the story of God in human flesh. It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of how he arrived on the earth. Christmas is part of the gospel, what we celebrate, his arrival to the earth. His death, his burial, his resurrection. Paul, he, he clarifies it. He purifies it down to this very simple message. He says, that which I delivered to you is not any different from what was delivered to me. It was passed on by me, and here it is. Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. If you can remember that, that is the essence of the gospel. But there's one detail that is actually in these two verses, three and four, that's repeated two times. Did you catch what it was? According to the scriptures. This is so critical. The reason why so many people do not live a gospel lifestyle is because they are not living According to the scriptures. Everything that Paul says here is according to the scriptures. Paul's evidence for the gospel is that he died, he buried, he he rose again. And his first evidence to prove that this gospel is more than just an idea, more than just a theory. He says it was according to the scriptures. Let me give you some of those scriptures that Paul was referencing. When Paul spoke about the scriptures, of course, at the time that he was writing this, there was no New Testament. Do you know what scriptures he was talking about? He was talking about the Jewish scriptures, the Torah, the the Psalms and Proverbs, the prophets. Those were the Hebrew, the Jewish scriptures. And those, see, if you don't have a frame of mind, people say, well, the Old Testament, you know, that's, that's old and dusty and dry and there's no Jesus in the Old Excuse me, there's no Jesus in the Old Testament. You didn't read it close enough because he's all over. Let me give you some of the scriptures of which Paul is referring to. Psalm chapter 22, to the chief musicians, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar? Before Jesus ever spoke it from the cross... It was written by David 1,200 years before that Jesus was living his life according to the Scriptures. 
Listen to what David described for the suffering of the Messiah. Verse 6, Psalm 22. I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despised by the people. Dogs have surrounded me. Congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Did you hear when that was written? 1,200 years before the life of Jesus. And, by the way, what a little factoid that I love to bring out when I read that scripture. This was before the Roman Empire that David was writing this. This was before crucifixion was even a thing. You know, the Romans were the ones who invented this idea of hanging people on the cross with nails in their hands and feet. They invented that form of torture and death. Before the Roman Empire, there was no crucifixion. And here's David perfectly describing what a crucifixion would be like. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Now, can you imagine David writing that? Being inspired by the Holy Spirit? And dogs have surrounded me. They have pierced my hands. And David would be like, what? What does that mean? Pierced my hands? Is that jewelry? What is that? Pierced my hands and my feet? That's going to be fabulous. Somebody's fabulous. Pierced my hands and my feet? What does that mean? David would have no idea. And yet, according to the scriptures, this is exactly how Messiah was predicted to die on the cross. Again, verse 17, same chapter. I can count all my bones. What does that mean? It means that he did not have one broken bone in his body. That's interesting because the gospel accounts tell us that the soldiers, there was an earthquake, there was a storm breaking out because Jesus had died on the cross. The, the, the judgment of God was being poured out on the earth. And the soldiers were so afraid. Maybe you saw this in his Passion of the Christ or one of these uh, movies depicting the crucifixion scene. And the, 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 the thieves, the thieves on the cross on either side of Jesus, they were still alive, right? So they broke their legs. And the reason they broke their legs is because then that would take the pressure of them pushing up on their nail that was through their feet. Because when they did that, then they weren't able to breathe. They would asphyxiate and they would die. So they broke their bones in order to hurry this death penalty. But when they came to Jesus, the Bible is very specific. They came to him, they looked at him, and they saw that he had already died. And they were surprised by that. His body had already given up. And so they went to break his legs and they said, no, no, don't have to do that. He's already dead. So his bones were unbroken. Now, how would David, 1,200 years before, how could he have known that there would be a Messiah who is crucified, pierced in his hands and feet, and that he would not have one broken bone in his body? They divide my garments among them. Isn't it interesting? The Roman soldiers casting lots for the garments of Jesus. Apparently, it was the only nice thing that Jesus had in his life was a garment that was worthy of being the prize for their gambling. For my clothing, they cast lots. Again, 1,200 years before the life of Jesus. Daniel 9, 26. After 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. Psalm 16.10, you will not leave my soul in Sheol. The resurrection was predicted. Isaiah 53, verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. You make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. 
And, uh, and then verse 12, I will divide him a portion with the great. He was numbered with transgressors. He bore the sin of many. He made intercession. Hosea 6, 2. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up. According to the scriptures. No wonder the apostle Paul, when he's explaining the gospel, he says, my first piece of evidence that I want to present to you, your honor, is that the scriptures predicted this. Predicted the life of Jesus to perfection. What's the next piece of evidence that he produces? Verse 5 of our scripture, back to 1 Corinthians 15. We're on a world tour of scripture tonight. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5, it says that he was seen by Cephas. Who's that? That was Peter. So after Jesus died on the cross, he was risen from the dead, and then he was seen by Peter. Then by the 12, right? He was seen by the, the, the disciples. Now, this is where it gets really interesting. Very, very important for you to understand. Why can we trust the gospel? After that, verse 6, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. Say 500 brethren. Jesus was seen physically by over 500 men or brethren at one time. And listen to what he says here. Of whom the greater part remain to the present time, though some have fallen asleep. What is he talking about here? This is incredible. This will blow your mind. He's saying that there was a group of people, at least 500, who had eyewitness evidence in a courtroom. The best kind of evidence you can have is eyewitness, right? I saw it happen. And even though people see things differently, but 500 people, the reason why that is so critical and so trustworthy is because when he wrote this letter and when it was delivered to the people of Corinth, there would have been people in the audience who were there that day, and they could have testified, I was there. Okay, let's just imagine a world, because, you know, there's a lot of people who say, uh, why should I trust the gospel? There's a lot of people. Probably there's a lot of people that you know that say, yeah, that Christianity stuff, just a bunch of fairy tales. So from that perspective, the gospel's all made up. Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. Yeah, there's no miracles in the world. Don't you know, pastor, this, this is a material world we're living in. There's no miracles. Okay, if that was the case, and Paul made a statement like that, there was 500 who saw Jesus alive after he died. What would happen if there was no such thing as a resurrection? 500 people would have risen up and said, that's not true, Paul. 500 people would have said, no, you can't just go around spreading lies like that. 500 people, that would not be in a Bible today if it weren't true. Because somebody would have stood up and said, no, you can't just say 500 people because I was in that crowd and I didn't see it. The only thing that makes sense, the only thing that that still remains in the gospel account is that there was 500 people who saw Jesus alive after he had died. And they remained to the present. They were still alive. In other words... This testimony is trustworthy. He's saying, don't believe me. Go ask one of them who was there. Because Paul was not there that day. He came later, didn't he? He is trusting the same message that was given to him. He said, you don't believe me? Go ask one of the 500 people that was still there. And and you would have an interview. 
So what did you see that day? Well, I saw Jesus. He was alive. And when did you see him? It was less than, you know, two months after he died. Eyewitness testimony. He goes on to say that after this, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. And verse 8, then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. So let's close with this idea. If the gospel is true, if it is still good news, then this good news should not remain in isolation. What do I mean by that? I'm glad you asked. The gospel will produce results. If the gospel is truly a miracle story, then it is going to have miracle implications. If this is true, Apostle Paul, then why should I believe it? Because Paul is going to give us three pieces of evidence. These are the things that the gospel has changed in his own life. And these are truly miracles. Are you ready for this? And if you understand the gospel, this is what the gospel can change in your life. Are you ready for this? The first thing is that it will cause us to recognize our own sinful need before God. Listen to what Paul says, verse 9. I am the least of the apostles. I am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. See, natural man does not come to that realization on his own. (laughs) Oh, no. See, the natural man, the man who is separated from God, the person who's not living for God, he will never say about himself, you know, I was a really bad person. Man, I, I ripped a lot of people off. Very, very few people in the world who, who are not touched by the finger of God would ever come to a self-realization that I was an evil man persecuting the church of the living God. Nobody will do that. The evidence in Paul's own life that the gospel is real is that he recognizes his own sinful need before God. What about you? Can you still recognize how much you need this good news? This is why I explained to that teenage girl at her front door, I had to tell her the bad news first. It is only when you understand the bad news that you can possibly understand the good news. This is why in every altar call I will mention, I will make sure to say that all have fallen sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned before the living God. Can you say, can you still say amen to that? Because that's embarrassing. It hurts our human pride, doesn't it? It it requires humility, which the natural man does not possess. Now here's where the parallel scripture comes into play in Philippians chapter 3. Remember, I told you to have both of these open, 1 Corinthians 15 and also Philippians chapter 3. This is another portion of Scripture where the Apostle Paul is giving his own story and sharing with us the effects of the gospel on his own life. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3 verse 4. I also might have, had, might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I the more so. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. What things were gained to me, these things I've counted loss for Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? 
He's saying that I was very passionately working against God. I was excited to put Christians in prison, women and children, he says in other places. I was, I was a very fulfilled in my life working against God and his people. And he says all of that now, I understand, I've counted it loss for Christ. See, this is the root of sin, isn't it? Sin is when <laughs> the gospel affects us in this way. That we finally are able to not see our sin as something we're proud of. Because that's what sinners do, right? Sinners go out and you know what sinners do? They sin. We shouldn't be surprised when sinners sin. Because sinners do a whole lot of sinning. And what sinners do on the weekends is they go out and they sin. And then they come to work on Monday morning and they tell all their coworkers about all of the escapades that they've just... And they're proud. Do you know who I sinned with? Do you know what I did? Let me tell you the story. And sin is something exciting. For Paul, persecuting the church, it was his purpose. And then he says, those things were gained to me. Now I've counted them lost for Christ. This is the power of the gospel. It changes your whole perspective, doesn't it? Where it used to be where you were proud of your sin. You were proud about how close, how much stuff you could steal from Walmart and not get caught. How much tax evasion you could get away with on April 15th. You were proud of the fact that you, you were involved in things that were wicked and evil. But the gospel has the power to change your mind. Has this really reached you? If you are not ashamed of your past, then you are not a Christian. I'm not saying we live in shame for all of our lives, that we have a, a burden of guilt on us. No, Jesus takes the guilt away, thank God. But when we come into the kingdom, like the Apostle Paul, we should look back at what we used to do and say, how stupid was I? Because Christ has opened our eyes. The second obvious change in the life of the Apostle Paul is a revolution of character. Look at verse 10. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me is not in vain. In other words, my life is different now. <laughs> I'm changed. And I've said it before, but it's worth repeating. Whatever Jesus touches, he changes. You can't tell me how much you love Jesus if you're still the same old wicked person you were when he found you. He should be changing you. You should be different today than you used to be yesterday, day before, week before, month before, year before. And you may not see massive changes. You say, Pastor, yes, I'm growing. Yeah, I'm growing too. It's that time of the year. But are you growing in character are you growing in your principles? Are you growing in the grace and the knowledge of your Savior? Paul explains this again to the Philippians in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. He says, yes, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Can you repeat that and really mean it? I count all things loss. For the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
He said, everything else in this life, compared to that, garbage. Compared to what the gospel has brought to me. I'm telling you, that'll change the way you live. When the gospel is so central to your life that it's changing you. He says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. This man was changed. It's Very obvious. One day he's riding his horse. He's going down to, uh, to persecute some Christians on the road to Damascus, right? He's got a list of people in his pocket of people he's going to drag off to prison. And the next moment, Jesus knocks him off of his horse causes a blindness, and Jesus speaks to this man personally. He changed so much, in fact, that he couldn't have the same name. He said, you're not going to be called Saul anymore. You've got to be Paul from now on because your character, this is a mark of a character change. You know, uh, some places in the world that we've traveled to, uh, for example, in Africa, they have a great tradition. Also, we saw this in China. Is when somebody comes to the church and really gets radically saved, do you know what they do? They give them a Christian name. I love that. That someone can come in with a traditional name from their country, um, and when they get saved, they get converted, and they, the church will bestow upon them a Christian name. Uh, we saw this when we were in Myanmar. Uh, the, the team that we went to Myanmar, uh, Chris and Amanda, uh, wow, we, we, so we saw, we had a crazy time in Myanmar, but there was a couple of guys that came into the church, Pastor Rocky Colonna, and, um, you know, we, we were in there, man, it was hot. It was Arizona hot and no air conditioning. You remember that, Chris, man, sweating our butts off. And so we were doing a Bible study in their church building, uh, an English lesson, Bible study in the church building, and, uh, and the power goes out, Pew! So now we're in the dark. Remember that? And we had our, the flashlights on our cell phones with the Bible talking about the gospel. A couple of guys came in that night. And uh, their name me, in Myanmar, you know, me, me and me, I don't know what the name of the language is. But what, uh, whatever, the, Burmese, maybe, I don't know. But uh, in, in that language, and, and these two guys, they, were, they came in, they were excited, they spoke a little English. We were able to teach them a few things. And, and we had an altar call, and they responded, and they said, we give our lives to Jesus. And it was the first two guys that got saved in the church. It was so exciting. And you know what I said? I said, we have to give you some new names, because I can't say your, your real names. So you're going to be Andrew, and you're going to be Peter. And we named them right there, Andrew and Peter. And you know what? I saw Pastor Rocky a few months back down in Jacksonville, and he said he came up to me and he said, "Hey, hey, uh, Pastor Dragoon, do you remember when you came to Myanmar and those two guys came in and you gave them those new names, Andrew and Peter?" I said, "Yeah, I'll never forget that as long as I live. It was uh, burned in my memory." And he says, "You're not going to believe this. They started their own Bible study in Myanmar." He said they've been in contact with us. They're, they wanted to have some resources. They need Bibles. They need all this stuff. So they contacted me. So there's Andrew and Peter. Who knows in eternity how much impact that this church has had? Incredible report. But my point here tonight is that those young men were changed. They're different. They have new names. What about you? Is your character changing? Is your personality getting better? 
Some people get saved and their personality gets worse. I got more mean. What's wrong with you, man? You got to get close to Jesus. Have some mercy and kindness and self-control. Let's look at the last thing. We're going to close. The gospel changed this man in such a powerful way. In, again, in verse 10, listen to what he says as we close. He said, I labored. Say the word labored. Oh, it hurts just to say it, doesn't it? I labored more abundantly than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. The third change that occurred in the Apostle Paul that he identifies in his defense of the gospel, he says, now I'm a working man. I am working for the good of the gospel. Again, back to Philippians chapter 3. Listen to what he says here. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press, say press, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, has the gospel got a hold of you? Are you working for the kingdom? It's easy to work for your own good. It's easy to work for a paycheck. It's easy to work for your own, uh, to, to pay your own bills. But what about the kingdom? What about the kingdom? Can I remind you tonight, there's a lot of work to do. Just in this congregation, there's a lot of work to do. The gospel, <laughs> the goal is to teach and preach this gospel message in the whole wide world. Can I remind you that that's not finished yet? Can I remind you that there are still nations and cities that haven't heard the gospel? Can I remind you that there are neighbors who live next door to you? I got the news this week. It convicted my soul. Next door neighbor. I'm outside taking the garbage out. And a woman approaches me, a woman I've never seen before. She says, hey, are, you live here? I said, yeah. She says, well, I'm the, uh, I'm the, uh, the, I'm the wife, I'm the ex-wife of the man that used to live in this house. I said, used to live? Did he move? She said, no, he died. A neighbor that I had waved to, said hello, knew his name, but never really had, a, mess, ha- had a, a deep conversation with him. He went to the doctor about a month ago. They discovered stage four cancer in his lymph nodes. I never even knew. And now he's in eternity. And I wonder if I could have done more. I know I could have. To my neighbor who possibly didn't know the gospel. I don't even know. Don't let that be you. Don't make that mistake with your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues, your family. There's a lot of work to do, guys. There's still a lot of sinners here. There's still a whole military base right across the street full of young sailors that are on their way to hell. Paul said, this gospel has changed my life. I've had a revolution in my character, and now I am working for the kingdom. What about you? Are these things evident in your life? Is there a change? Are you a worker? I pray tonight the Lord would reveal the power of the gospel that is still good news. Still good news for us. 
and still good news for the world. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight as we bring this service to a close. I appreciate your attention. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. Oh,